What happens when we're no longer one nation under God? Here's Pastor Xavier Reese with this thought. The father of our nation, George Washington, declared that any nation who divorces their politics from religion and morality would not prosper. It is impossible to rightly govern without God and the Bible. And when the fathers of our nation used religion and morality, they were referring to Christianity and the Bible. You have people who do not have any understanding of right and wrong today. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. There's no question, God is love. He's forgiving and He's patient. But He's also holy, and sooner or later He will judge sin. In today's Simple Truth study, Pastor Xavier examines what happens to a people who continue to live outside the dictates of God. Let's take a journey to the Old Testament book of Ezekiel for today's Bible lesson. Ezekiel chapter 22, we're going to look at verse 1 through 31. And the message entitled, The Terminal City, Jerusalem. The prophet Ezekiel continues faithfully to proclaim God's word that has been revealed to him to warn the people regarding sin and the coming judgment. The prophet is ordered to judge the city. She had failed in her representation of being the city of God. The principal culprit were the leaders. The charge is that they abused their own power to misuse their authority to shed blood unjustly in the city. The word oppressed there in verse 7 means they were cruel, unsympathetic, uncompassionate, using extortion for greed. They despised my holy things, meaning they held them in contempt and disdained the holy things and standards of God. Boy, our nation sure fits that pattern. Verse 9, the men were without conscience. They slandered, means they lied and false accused people to put them to death. And then look at verse 10 and 11. The men were sexually corrupt without boundaries. They would commit adultery with their neighbor's wife, verse 11. They would uh, perversely defile sexually their uh, daughter-in-law, the wife of their son. That's incest. Um, they would sexually violate their stepsister, the daughter of their father's daughter. That's incest. Incest was a big problem. Verse 12. The men had become materialistic and greedy. They take brides to shed blood, murder. They take usury and increase, taking advantage of people. The key to all these indictments is the phrase, in you, appearing nine times between verse 7 through 12. And the other one, in your midst. In and in your midst. It starts with the individual. Jerusalem has become a city of godless, callous, corrupt, immoral, and perverted people. God promised severe consequences. Look at 15. He would punish them. I will scatter you among the nations, disperse you throughout the countries. He would purify them and remove your filthiness completely from you. And God would give her over to her profaneness. This was her own doing. You shall defile yourself in the sight of the nations. This would cause her to know that he was Lord knowing her privilege at one time versus her perversity of the present time, judgment would cause her to know Yahweh was in control of history. The proclamation of the transgression of Jerusalem was intolerable. God couldn't take it anymore. 
The second movement is the illustration of the purification of Jerusalem. Verse 17 and 18, the picture of the city is one filled with impurities. Once again, the words of Yahweh, this is his revelation, God speaking through him. The character of the people of God is declared in verse 18. The prophet is addressed again by the term son of man. He's human. He's one like everybody else, frail, yet God's instrument. The prophet is told by Yahweh his rejection of his people for the sinful pollution. The house of Israel has become dross to me. You know what dross is? It's all the junk that surfaces when you're purifying something, okay? The imagery here is that of metallurgy, of purifying metals. The dross is all the impurities that surface to the top when the precious metals are put under great heat to purify them. Inferior metals have a lower temperature and they surface. Notice the nature of the people is described the various kinds of impurities of sin. They are all bronze, tin, iron, and lead. So he's symbolizing through all these various kinds, all kinds of sin from A to Z. The people were under God's fiery wrath. In the midst of the furnace, they have become dross from silver. From silver? It's a contrast. All this stuff is inferior. What's silver? Silver's redemption. They were my redeemed people. Gold is deities through the scriptures. Silver's redemption. Brass is judgment. All of them inferior to silver. Notice the city was the pot that would be put to the fire, verse 19 through 22. He would have Jerusalem be as a purifying pot. Because you have all become draws, therefore, behold, I will gather you into the midst of Jerusalem. Then Yahweh would pour out his fire wrath on them in verse 20 through 22. He illustrates this by a common understanding. As men gather silver, bronze, iron, lead, and tin into the midst of the furnace to blow fire on it, to melt it. Whoa. Pretty intense. Still 20, he would do the same by his fiery judgment. So I will gather you in my anger and in my fury, and I will leave you there and melt you. I'm going to use Nebuchadnezzar, but it's me. And then he affirms his actions in 21. Yes, I will gather you and blow on you with the fire of my wrath, and you shall be melted in its midst. You will not be protected. You will be judged. And in 22, he confirms the accomplishment. As silver is melted in the midst of the furnace, so shall you be melted in its midst. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have poured out my wrath on you. The father of our nation, George Washington, declared that any nation who divorces their politics from religion and morality would not prosper. He also declared that it is impossible to rightly govern without God and the Bible. And when the fathers of our nation used religion and morality, they were referring to Christianity and the Bible. Separation of church and state is a joke. It never appears in any document. It's from a letter written by Jefferson to a preacher. It never appears in the Constitution. It's a willful twisting by the legislators, the judges, and the lawyers. Jefferson declared, Can the liberties of a nation be thought secure if we have removed their only firm basis? That basis is a conviction in the minds of the people that these liberties are a gift from God, that they are not to be violated, but with his wrath. Where are these men of politics that feared God, 
Thank God for the ones that are out there. Thank God for the judges and the politicians that are Christian and true Christians. But they're very, very few. You have people who do not have any understanding of right and wrong today. They have been thoroughly saturated in the humanistic philosophy thanks to the public system that's committed to the humanistic teaching that have taught our children nothing but animals. So they're acting like it. And now we're saying, what's their problem? Well, they've been good students and you've been good teachers. Listen to Romans 13, 1 through 4. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. So all the people in government, whether they're non-believers, they're put there by God. Doesn't mean they're Christian. Now, we are to submit to them as long as they don't contradict the Bible. When they contradict the Bible, they tell me I can't preach, I can't worship Jesus, then I don't obey them. Other than that, I do submit to them. You understand? Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have praise for the same. For he is a minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. Ladies and gentlemen, that's capital punishment. If you're against it, I'm sorry. New Testament, capital punishment. That's what it's speaking about. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. And that's not the only scripture in the New Testament. John the Baptist said about the Messiah, his winnowing fan is in his hand and he will thoroughly cleanse his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the shaft with unquenchable fire. Matthew 3.12. And listen to Hebrews 10, 30 through 31. You say, yeah, yeah, that's a non-believer. Wait a minute. Let me get to you, God says. Listen. The author of Hebrews says, For we know him who, is, who says, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. That's the context. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. He judges his people, the believer. Wow. The illustration of the purification of Jerusalem was unmistakable. Everything was going to melt down. Now notice thirdly, the application of the corruption of Jerusalem in verse 23 through 31 23 and 24, the city had refused to repent of her corrupt sin. The authority still Yahweh's word. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel. Uh, the indictment and verdict is one of judgment in verse 24. She was impure before God. Son of man, say to her, you are a land that is not cleansed. She was denied rain withholding blessings of harvest or rained on in the days of indignation. All this was based on withholding blessings and having cursings. Whenever you see judgment, always remember one chapter for sure, Leviticus 26. God says, if you do this, I'll bless you. If you do this, I'll get you. In Deuteronomy 27 and 28, it's a promise to Israel. Amos 4, 7 uses it also. Now, look at 25 through 31. The city had harbored wicked men. The prophets had corrupted their office of warning the people, calling them to repentance. They were in united corruption to injure the people. 
The conspiracy of her prophets is in her midst. It's like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They were responsible for the murder of people. They have devoured the people. They were greedy thieves. They have taken treasure and precious things. They were heartless. They have made many widows in her midst. Openly, brashly mentioned twice and once in verse 27. Wow. The prophet. Those also supposed to be the mouthpiece of God. 26, the priest had corrupted their office of mediator between God and man. They became disobedient to the law of Moses. Her priests have violated my law and profaned my holy things. They became compromising, not judging evil from good. They have not distinguished between the holy, the unholy, nor have they made known the difference between clean and unclean. They were living in relativism like today. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, it's okay. It's the same. You know, it's, it's bad for you, but not for me. It's okay. Wow. They became irreverent to Yahweh by not honoring him as creator. And they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profane among them. The Sabbath was to reflect upon God's goodness to what he created. He gave us a day of rest to reflect upon him. Today, no one, no one reflects on that. Before there was a day not too long ago that nothing would function on Sundays. Little league games, nothing. Even bars would close down. Now everything is on Sunday. As if they're saying, in your face, God. You don't want to make God mad. You really don't. 27, the rulers had corrupted their authority and power, using it for themselves. All are like vicious animals. Her princes and her mists are like wolves tearing the prey. All are uncompassionate. They shed blood to destroy people. All are out for themselves, extortionists, and go uh, and to get dishonest gain. Micah 3.11, Sephaniah 3.4 speak of the judges taking bribes and the prophets just proffering and, and destroying people. Jeremiah, Isaiah, all of them, we've been through them. Look at 28, the prophet had given, now the prophet had given false revelation. So the prophet, the priest, and he deals with the prophet again, they had misled the people. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, seeking familiar spirits. He focused on them very detailed, very specific in chapter 13, 1 through 23. Great judgment. They had done so in the authority of Yahweh, saying, Thus saith the Lord God, when the Lord had not spoken. So they continue to say, Yes, we're Yahweh's prophets. We're speaking in God's word. And they were lying. They were contradicting. How you know if a pastor or a person is from God is whether they are speaking according to God's word. When they contradict God's word, get up and walk out. And that includes me. Now, I'm not talking about having difference between little, you know, splitting hairs. I'm talking about when they contradict the word of God, get up and walk out. The televangelists that pressure you and give you the sad stories, and they have these little old ladies sending the Social Security checks. The Lord told me to tell you that you send me $1,000. Why don't you sell your yacht? And, and you send everybody $1,000. Am I speaking against being paid? Am I speaking against a Christian or a pastor having anything? No. But you better not beg. And you better not pressure the people. 
the people had become like the rulers. That's the ultimate result, people. Look at verse 29. They became abusive. The people of the land had used oppression. They became dishonest, committed robberies. They became cold-hearted, and they mistreated the poor, the needy, and they were wrongfully oppressing the stranger. And then in verse 30 and 31, the city was given up to judgment after exhausting every measure to bring repentance. Oh, don't miss that. Verse 30, Yahweh attempted to find an intercessor for the city. Can you believe God? I am so glad he's not like me. I would barbecue him. An Israelite who would stand for God and to take the lead of the nation to confess her sins. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me in behalf of the land. An effort to avert judgment on the city's final destruction. That I should not destroy it. Another unsuccessful attempt. But I found none. And I found none. Oh. You remember Jeremiah 5.1? Jeremiah thought that he could find a man. And God said, run to and fro through the streets of Jerusalem. See now and know and seek your in her open place, if you can find a man, if there is anyone who executes judgment, who seeks the truth, and I will pardon her. Boy, Jeremiah gave it a shot. <laughs> Nobody. God says, I told you. Yahweh was forced. Listen to me. Yahweh was forced to judge the city. Why? Because his holiness demands his wrath. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. His displeasure on their lifestyle, his displeasure on the people. Decisively. Secondly, deliberately. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Deliberately. Decisively, deliberately, and deservingly. And I have recompensed their deeds on their own head, says the Lord. Jeremiah 23, 11, and 34 says, For both prophet and priest have profaned. Yes, in my house I have found their wickedness, says the Lord. And as for the prophet and the priest and the people who say the oracles of the Lord... I will even punish that man and his house. Benjamin Franklin, that great statement proclaimed, quote, we need God to be our friend, not our enemy. We need him to be our ally, not our adversary. We need to make sure that we keep his concurring aid, end of quote. Since 1962, we began to exclude God and the Bible and the Christian ethic and since then, we have gone by the way, and we've been spiraling consistently downward in a spiral. Violent crimes, murder, divorce, immorality, everything else has risen from 3 to 7 to 8 to 1,000%. The only way to avert and escape judgment from God is repentance, ladies and gentlemen. The longer a person, a city, or a nation hardens their heart against repentance, they are treasuring up for themselves wrath against the day of judgment. Listen to Romans 2, 3 through 6. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things, he's just given a whole category of sins, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourselves wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will render to each one according to his deeds. I've told you often, God keeps good books. David prayed in Psalm 51, 7, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be cleansed. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. 
Paul says, therefore, man, if any was in Christ, he's a new creation. All things pass away. Everything becomes new. Second Corinthians 5, 17. I love that verse. I don't care who you are, what's happened. God can cleanse you and make you new and give you hope for life. The need of intercession has never ceased to be a need. Ezekiel has mentioned three past intercessors that God declared in chapter 14, verse 1 and 14, 20. He said, if Noah, Daniel, and Job were there, they would deliver only their own selves. That's how wicked and far gone the city had gone. Wow. Ezekiel was an intercessor, as you know. In his commission, chapter 2, uh, 4 through 7 says, Then he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak my words with them. For you are not sent to a people of unfamiliar speech and of a hard language, but to the house of Israel, not too many people of unfamiliar speech or a hard language, whose words you cannot understand. Surely, had I sent you to them, they would have listened to you. Whoa. But the house of Israel will not listen to you because they will not listen to me. For all the house of Israel are impudent and hard-hearted. How would you like to have the commission of intercessor knowing that it's going to be useless? You would say, well, what's the use? Why should I go? Because God always gives a witness. He always warns before judgment falls. Nobody has an excuse. The believer is to be an intercessor for those in authority. Did you know that? 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4 it says, therefore, I exhort, first of all, that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and all who are in authority, that we may live a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. For this is good and accept in the sight of God, our Savior, who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Maybe we're at fault more than anybody else for not interceding for our mayors, for our councilmen, for our president, for the leaders. Because we know the truth. And God says he will honor our prayers because they are his servants, even though they're not believers. It begins with us, the church. Wow. The ultimate intercessor is Jesus Christ. Isaiah prophesied, Isaiah 59, 16, he saw that there was no man and wondered that there was no intercessor. Therefore, his own arm brought salvation for him and his own righteousness it sustains him, prophesying of Jesus. First Timothy 2.5, you know it. For there is one God and one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. The book of Hebrews says, Therefore he is also able to save those to the uttermost to come to him, to God, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Hebrews 7.24. He is the effective intercessor. All that is needed is for people to come to him. He is the intercessor of intercessors. He's available to all. The application of the corruption of Jerusalem was indisputable. Her time was up. And so the prophet Ezekiel, as God's prosecuting attorney, has pronounced judgment on the corrupt city through these three movements. The proclamation of the transgression of Jerusalem was intolerable. Time had run out. The illustration of the purification of Jerusalem was unmistakable. A boiling pot. Nothing would survive. The application of the corruption of Jerusalem was indisputable. It would happen in a little while. It would certainly come to pass. Very real warnings. For you, for me, 
for our families, for our cities, for our nation. It's scary. Fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Pastor Xavier Reese and the danger of living outside of obedience. And don't forget today's study, The Terminal City, Jerusalem, is available on CD for just $4. And this will also include what we heard the last time we were together. So once again, that title, The Terminal City, Jerusalem, or simply mention today's date. And you can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for including the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. What happens when you insist on offending the Lord? That's coming up on the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 